We are the Pop Gorillas. This is the show where we drop a spoiler-free review about anything from pop culture in less time than it takes to listen to a song. And what you're about to hear is the Pop Gorillas hostile takeover of this very feed. Thanks to Chris and Dave for allowing us to do it. You are about to witness 12 spoiler-free reviews of every Halloween film in order. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe to the Pop Gorillas on your favorite pop podcast catchers. That's Pop Gorillas with a U, not an O. On with the show. So, Halloween 1, 1978, the original, the classic, the best. Well, we'll find out as the reviews go on, won't we? This movie, written by Deborah Hill, directed and scored, most importantly, by John Carpenter, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, PJ Souls is in it, one of my all-time favorite actresses from Rock and Roll High School, makes an appearance. This is the movie that set the tone for what slasher movies would become, for what menacing monsters would be. Michael Myers is just called The Shape in this movie. He's wearing a bleached-out Captain Kirk mask. He's menacing. He's terrifying. Point-of-view filmmaking has never been better than it was done in this original John Carpenter's score Oh my god, there's nothing quite like this score. Few notes, powerful, terrifying. You hear that music, you know you're about to crap your pants. There is there is nothing but praise for this film that changed the genre. Jamie Lee fucking Curtis, daughter of Tony Curtis, daughter of Janet Lee, a stream scream queen in her own right, the first scream queen, one could argue. She says to them, Hold my beer, mom and dad. She owns this movie. She brings it all. This is the movie that launched her career. It launched a series. It launched a movement of horror films that is essentially part of my entire childhood. I was five years old when this movie came out, to be fair. But I saw it later. I've seen it repeatedly. I've seen them all. This is the original. This is the best. You'll never, ever ever regret spending time with these actors being terrified. If you could suspend disbelief for just a second, the way that it was for the people who first saw this movie, transport yourself back to a time and imagine the revolution that was formed here with Halloween 1978. I fucking love this movie. Happy Halloween, everybody. I am reviewing Halloween 2 and ugh bored now bored 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 I watched it twice and I still don't understand how it is so boring or why anything happens released in 1981 and directed by Rick Rosenthal who goes on to direct Halloween Resurrection co-written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill Halloween 2 is set directly after the first original Halloween and forgets Everything that works about it. Absolutely everything. Jamie Lee Curtis is massively underused. In fact, it's actually a little offensive at how little she is given to do reprising her role as Laurie. She seems to be in a completely different film. I mean, it is. It's the second one, but as in, like, not even the same franchise. It, she's a different character. She's, quite frankly pathetic throughout they take away all of her agency she just gets to lie in bed flopping about and making weird moaning and groaning noises and that's despite Curtis doing her very very best let's face it she's amazing we all love her she does not deserve this film 
The film suffers from taking attention away from her and focusing way too much time on Dr Loomis and all of his absolutely banana decisions. I mean, why does he make any of the decisions that he does? None of it makes any sense. And that's the overall tone of the film. Characters drop in and out just because, I think, to try and move the story on, but it doesn't really. Everybody just sort of wanders around aimlessly, not really doing much. Random twists are thrown in, again, just because. And even the slashing is really lacklustre. I know at the time everybody said, oh, it's being really gruesome and it's shocking. It is not. It is shit. Let's, let's just say it as it is. There are some things I enjoyed, and this is what I'm going to end, up on, end on. I'm going to end on the positives. I say some things. There's one thing. There are some really, really fun shots of Michael sneaking around behind people, being a right old creeper through the hospital, through houses, like genuinely laughing out loud funny. And some of those shots are actually really well directed. Um, but that's about it. That's what I'm going to leave it on. We are the Pop Gorillas. This is the show where we drop a spoiler-free review of anything from pop culture and less time than it takes to listen to a song. Halloween by name? Less slasher, more paranoid thriller by nature. I can understand the pushback from audiences in 82. I'm not sure it would be any different now. Michael Myers is dead. Burned to a crisp at the end of Halloween 2. In his place, enter Silver Shamrock Corporation, with one of the most irritating earworm jingles of all time and their subliminal, supernatural, Stonehenge-powered commercials. No shape. No problems. To be fair, the franchise should be commended for taking a chance and trying to avoid repetition whether the fandom wanted it or not. The fact it isn't wholly successful is a separate issue. Written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace of subsequent IT fame, what Halloween 3 lacks is a genuine fear factor and conceptual coherence. Why do bugs and snakes manifest, for instance? Cause. Personally, I'd preferred some scanner-style splatter-tastic implosions instead. The ick factor is also high, all of it emanating from the inappropriate advances of Tom Atkins' middle-aged protagonist Daniel Chalice upon any and every female in his vicinity. There is some welcome grueliness and a sadistic sense that no one, kids included, kids especially, are safe. The central section set in the fictional town of Santa Mira is convincingly creepy too. The highlight of the 90 minute runtime, it comes as no surprise to learn that Nigel Neal is an uncredited writer on their second sequel, as this standalone segment holds more than a passing resemblance to his script for the invasion of the body statues aping Quatermass 2 from 1957. For its faults, there's no denying this is a more satisfying viewing experience than Halloween 2, and there's a good argument to be made that Season of the Witch was influential too. Carpenter and Howard's collaborative score predates Fiedel's similar digitised synth sound essential to the Terminator's atmosphere in 84, as do all the shots of the eerily calm and seemingly unstoppable inhuman forces employ by Silver Shamrock. They'll be back. It's also a good bet that Chris Carter is a fan of this too. (laughs) 
Ultimately, this attempt to turn the franchise into an anthology failed both critically and commercially, meaning Michael Myers would return six years later in part four. Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, set in Haddonfield, Illinois once again, this time in 1988. Jamie Lee Curtis was reaching the high of her highs, and so she couldn't be bothered to come back. Is that good? Is that bad? I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is always good. However, Halloween 4 isn't as bad as you think it is. While Donald Pleasance is the star as Dr. Loomis, the therapist who seemingly also can't die and must be inflicted with the same sort of magic juju that Michael Myers has, the star of the movie is, of course, the youngest scream queen slash final girl, Danielle Harris. This is the movie that launched her career. She's done tons of horror movies. Most importantly, though, you'll recognize her as the daughter from The Last Boy Scout. So, duh. Of course she's great. Actually, she is fantastic in this movie. Little kids aren't always good actors, and there's something very naturalistic about Harris's performance in this movie. I think probably when they hired Kirsten Dunst for Interview with the Vampire, they had an actress who could do the things that Daniel Harris could do in mind. There's a lot she has to do. There's a lot of trauma, of course, that she has to go through as a character. And that puts a lot of trauma on a kid. Now, of course, they don't know how actually old she is. Is she seven? Is she nine? I don't know. The movie doesn't seem to know. And, you know, the blatant misogyny is there. The obviously random boob shots are there because pff, it's a Halloween movie so what would a Halloween movie be without just a bunch of boobs for no good reason I don't know Carpenter's score is the only thing that came over from the original two films except for the idea that our main protagonist our little girl Jamie Lloyd as a nod obviously to Jamie Lee herself is the daughter of Laurie Strode who was unceremoniously killed off screen the year previous and now she's living with the Foster family and of course Michael Myers finds this out, and he comes, and he needs to kill her because that's what he does. He kills his family. Why? Because he does. It's apparently the magic juju that keeps him alive, killing his family. Just like Michael Myers is the magic juju that keeps Dr. Loomis alive. Halloween 4 is definitely for horror fans only, but I would say, as far as the second run of Michael Myers movies go, 4, 5, and 6, this is head and shoulders the best, although we do see a young, seemingly ageless Paul Rudd in Halloween 6. More coming. It's always slightly disconcerting when a movie opens by recycling previous footage. It's almost as if they don't have enough new material to constitute a reasonable runtime. At its core, Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, has a compelling concept that actually offers something fresh for the franchise, as a psychic connection seems to have formed between Uncle Mike and niece Jamie. Its execution is something else altogether, however. The first 20 minutes offer some decent moments in hope, and it picks back up again in its final stretch, set inside the derelict Myers family home. It's just a shame about the panto parody in between. New director Othin Girard's shot choice and direction of actors is deeply inept. His command of tone is even worse, with it swinging wildly between attempts at tension and buffoonish moments of abortive levity. All clear. Nothing above, nothing below. Uh, what about Max? Adobe, right? <laughs> this is not happening to me. Max! Max, what have you done? 
I'm so embarrassed. It's what we're here for. Rescue cats. Find dogs. That's a job. And we love it. Just <laughs> the acting across the cast, new and returning, is largely embarrassing and no better than your local Amdram. Pleasance's performance in particular is truly unhinged and bordering on psychotic. His invasion of personal space something to truly behold. Only final girls Daniel Harris and Ellie Cornell survive the ordeal with a shred of dignity, with Harris impressing expressively through physicality and facial expressions alone for the most part. Even the franchise consistent score has been bastardised and butchered to the point it loses all impact now as it sounds like a poorly produced karaoke cover of itself. To be honest, at this point, the Halloween franchise appears to be in poor shape. I'm the unfortunate gorilla who had to pay for, sit through, and now has to review Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Look, it's not good. Anyone who's seen it will know there's no sugarcoating it. It's just shit. I even had trouble trying to think about what there is to say about this film and I don't know where this is going to go. So I'm going to start with the facts. Released in 1995, it stars Donald Pleasance, of course, and Paul Rudd. Yeah, me, Paul Rudd. And trust me, he can't save it. Curse completes the Thorn trilogy established in Halloween 4. Oh, boy. Well, okay. So what happens in the film? Jamie and Michael have been kidnapped by a cult. Yeah. And Jamie gives birth to a baby. Paul Rudd is that little Tommy kid that Laurie babysat in the first film. And fair enough, he's traumatised by his experience. But I don't really think that excuses just how weird he is. Dr Loomis is still obsessed with Michael. That's a given. There's a new Strode family living in the old Strode house. I believe it's Laurie's uncle and his family. They're dysfunctional and it's abusive. It's not good. And at some point there's a radio personality. I don't really know why. This is spoiler free, so I'm not going to tell you what the plot is. And trust me, you're not going to watch this film, so you don't even need to know. Please don't watch this film. Please, 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 please just do not watch this film. You don't need it. You don't need it in your life. But what I will say is that I disliked all the characters. Not helped by the uniformly bad acting. I don't really understand why anything happens. There's too many tenuous links between all the characters and Michael Myers and Laurie. I don't know. It's just so bad. The kills aren't even that good. The stalking and the slashing, it's actually the worst of that whole time period. You know when we had really bad slasher horror films and they were just rubbish and not in the good rubbish? Oh, God, I just... Why am I still talking? Look, I don't really know how I've managed to get this much content out of this film. I'm over two minutes and I just don't want to talk about it anymore. So what I will say is it was a complete waste of time and it cost me £3.50, which I'm never going to see back. Not a lot of money, but in time and just it's just too much. And we are continuing our journey through the Halloween movies, watching the good, the bad and the atrocious. Now, next up is Halloween H2O. And where does it fall on that rating scale? I'm here to tell you. Good. Good, 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 good. Look, I love this film. I always have. I remember when I first watched it and I thought it was ace. And I watch it quite regularly. And I still think it's ace. It's one of the best sequels. 
It was released in 1990-1998, and it's the seventh instalment and a direct sequel of the first two films, forgetting all the other instalments in between, which does it the world of good. It takes place at a fancy pants boarding school where Laurie Strode is now under a new identity of Kerry Tate, and she's the headmistress. Laurie, understandably, suffers from PTSD, she's an alcoholic, and is extremely protective of her teenage son, who just wants to get up to normal teenage shenanigans and not have his pesky, overbearing mother ruin all his fun. But little does he know, his murderous uncle is on his way, conveniently, around Halloween time, again. Like I said, I've always enjoyed this film. It's zippy and it's fun, and it knows what it is, and none of it's surprising and it's pretty formulaic, but it does it all with gusto. It has a short runtime, which I always enjoy, and it doesn't mess around with it. Jamie Lee Curtis is back on form as Laurie Strode, infusing her with both fire and vulnerability, and it's great seeing Josh Hartnett and Michelle Williams in early acting roles, and they do a decent job, and the roles are nothing to write home about. We also, of course, get a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and that's always fun. There's a couple of great jump scares... All the deaths are pretty silly and there's some vague political commentary and some attempts at being meta, but mostly the film knows what it is and what it's there to do, so it just does it well. Sure, it doesn't have the creepiness or some of the same scares as Halloween, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. If you want a decent horror film within the Halloween franchise that you can chuck on on an evening, then this is the film for you. Right, I'm off to knock back a lorry-sized glass of wine or two. Halloween Resurrection the sequel no one asked for and no one wanted riding high off of halloween h2o they decided hey let's cash in one more time jamie lee curtis insisted that her character well this is spoiler free anyway starring jamie lee curtis buster rhymes bianca kalik as the final girl and probably in the best turn and this is the first time I've ever seen Luke Kirby as Jim. Um, he, he's gone on to do lots of other things, most notably his portrayal of Lenny Bruce on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So the problem with Halloween Resurrection, besides the fact that they just didn't need it to be made at all, is that there's actually a pretty decent movie in there, hidden in there. I mean, this is 2002, and the idea is that there's a reality, streaming reality show taking place inside the Myers house. And honestly, there's, um, in addition to the fact that they somehow got Tyra Banks to be in this movie as well, which is, I don't know, baffling. But what was most baffling is they understood the idea of live streaming and reality TV in 2002 when most people were still on dial-up and didn't even have internet in their home in America. So it was very clever and there was something there about the spectacle of reality tv about the spectacle which was happening that of course survivor was big in america but this idea of a live stream show way far ahead of its time uh, so there is something interesting and thoughtful in this movie trying to get out but unfortunately like most of the people in the myers house it doesn't get out of course if you're a completist you should make sure you watch halloween resurrection but if you're just looking for a good Halloween movie, I would say, give it a pass. 2007, Rob Zombie's Halloween remake. Ugh. Oh, my God. This cast is really, really good, actually. Trapped in a movie that is really, 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 really bad. I don't want Michael Myers to be the hero. And Halloween isn't a torture porn movie. And yet, 
this version of Halloween, which made a shit ton of money. Seems to be both of those things. A movie making Michael Myers the hero while giving us some horrific torture porn. This cast can't save it. Nothing can save it. I know people love this movie, but to me it totally misses the point. This movie could have just been simply called The Halloween Murders. Exact same script, exact same cast. Just don't pretend that it's a Halloween film with Michael Myers as the villain. I will say, Tyler Maine, who is the human embodiment of Michael Myers in this, is a monster of a man. He is physically imposing. There's a lot that could have been done with this script, but this wasn't it. This was not the movie for me. I can't stand it. I know it has its fans, but I am not one. <sighs> okay, so I'm reviewing Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 from 2009. So what happens in the film? So Laurie is a bitch. Everybody around her is a bitch. But in terms of plots, Laurie is recovering from the first Rob Zombie film, which isn't surprising because that's also a big pile of shit. Um, she's not handling it well, which makes her a little bitch. Um, Michael isn't dead. Again, what a surprise. Nothing interesting or ingenious about that. And it's the countdown to Halloween and he wants to come and murder some people. Um, Loomis is a dickhead and he's just being a dickhead. And everybody that dies gets their comeuppance, but not in the way that you enjoy. But anyway... Michael comes back to Haddonfield and shenanigans ensue. I'm sure you were shocked by this plot. I don't really want to give a review because this film's so shit and I give literally no shits about it. But I guess what I will say about it is that it's exploitative, messy, it's trying to be clever, but it's really not... The messing with the Michael Myers and Laurie Stride dynamic, it it makes no sense. The acting is just terrible, just so terrible. And then even just visually, the direction, the lighting, you can't see a damn thing. It's just shit. Everyone in it is terrible and not in the fun way where you want to hate them. Overall, it's just stupid. It's offensive to viewers at how stupid it is. It's just shit. I hate the way that women treated and dressed and shot in it. I mean, I don't know. It's just... Some people like this film. It's got a surprisingly high rating. It's not for me. And I don't think it's ever going to be for me. And I just... It was a waste of my time. I feel pretty bummed. But you know what? Things can only go up from here. A second watch does this sequel no harm. At a distance from release hype, it can solely be admired for what it does right. Of course, it may also help watching it at the tail end of a completist franchise watch-through, which has only served to highlight just how uneven the Halloween saga truly is. No one has truly managed to capture the magic of Hill and Carpenter's original offering, but this 2018 reimagining, sequel, whatever you want to call it, arguably comes closest. 40 years later, we pick up where the 78 OG left off and ignore all the franchise fuckery that has come before to tell our own laser-focused survivalist story. Perhaps inspired by another franchise featuring an unstoppable killing machine, 
JLC's Laurie Strode is an unrecognisable PTSD survivor with barely nothing but the return of her cursed tormentor on her mind. To that end, she is trained and prepped so that when the inevitable day arises, she can terminate that fucker once and for all. Curtis is a class act and recognises this as a resurrection to put right what once went wrong, grasping the opportunity by owning every single scene she's in. She's ably supported by Judy Greer and, especially, Andy Matichak as the next two generations of strode women willing to stand tall against whatever shape threatens their fractured family. Equal to Curtis's performance is the shot calling by Renaissance director David Gordon Green. His use of framing is fantastic and the best in the franchise since Carpenter introduced us to Spot the Shape back in 78. Whilst it doesn't all work, the Act 1 true crime podcasters are especially cringeworthy. It builds at a perfect pace to a couple of undeniably effective scenes. The first, as Michael sets off the motion sensors in a neighbour's yard before slicing and dicing and stalking Alison through Haddonfield's streets. The second, as Laurie silently strides away through her home alone house of traps in search of her 40-year-old boogeyman. It all adds up to a satisfying spiritual sequel, if not an equal sequel. But then, what is? Just got one burning question. How does M.M. know or choose who to target? Is it just part of his inexplicable preternatural abilities? Michael Myers survives to kills again whilst hysteria hits Haddonfield. Murder, mayhem, and even a little social commentary ensues. 2018's Halloween was not only a direct sequel, but also the first film to truly capture the essence of the original. Every film since 78 tried to put its own spin on the slasher template, as distilled by Carpenter and Hill, with varying degrees of diminished success. This kills continuance is undoubtedly of a piece with its two predecessors, but also attempts to offer something fresh itself, with varying degrees of success. JLC has always been the best thing about the franchise and the star draw. MM should be background. In Kills, it's flipped. Here, Michael is elevated to main player, in much the same way Thanos was the lead character in Infinity War. I have mixed feelings on this in ways I didn't before the Avengers' endgame. Whenever Laurie is off-screen, Kills loses some of its lustre. The returning Matichak as granddaughter Strode adds a little of her own, but even she's sidelined for significant portions of the runtime in order to allow for the sprawling supporting cast. Amongst the throng, there's names and faces new and familiar with a plethora of returning actors either 40 plus years later or in flashback that surely can't fail to stimulate any franchise fan at the mere sight of them. The standout is without doubt Anthony Michael Hall as the now middle-aged Tommy Doyle. Whether we need any and all of them, however, is what's up for debate as is the depiction of the killer in question. The shape sadism has been seriously increased so that his high body count of kills will undoubtedly satisfy the gorehounds. But whether it's true to what has come before, I'm unsure. It's a sign of the times and the expectations of slashes in the here and now, but the brutality of the deaths definitely now overshadows the tension of the anticipation. Mercifully, it stops short of debasing itself as low as the zombification duology, but I did miss scanning the screen in search of the shape. It's all execution and no build-up. Being the middle movie of an already announced and pre-planned trilogy also means there's some dramatic weight diminished from proceedings. 
That said, Kills does have a sting in its tail that, although dumb in its establishment, sets in motion one hell of a face-off rife with emotion. Just what is the boogeyman, and can he be stopped? We'll find out when Halloween ends. Make sure you subscribe, because you never know when the pop gorillas will slash next. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Happy after Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Happy after Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Happy after Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. Happy after Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Thank <laughs> you.